That in and of itself is proof that when we really want to do something, we will go through any steps necessary to get it done. It's amazing to me, I watched that video, and, and just so you guys know, they, they're going to sell you some hamburgers shortly after that, McDonald's, that's a McDonald's commercial. But uh, when I watched that, I think it's hilarious, because as I was looking up vacations and, and family pictures of vacations, there's a whole world dedicated to unhappy family vacation pictures. <laughs> there's, there's a whole website that talks about people in front of the, uh, the Magic Kingdom, you know, the big castle where you've spent, like, your 401k to get there, right? And, and they're in front of the castle with the five kids, and everybody's like, <laughs> and then it's, right? You know, you suck it up, buttercup, you get it done, you take that family picture, because that's your memory, right? But as I was looking at this, and, and I, every time I see this commercial, I think how somehow we have nine months to block out all of those things, so that when summer rolls back around, we're excited about it all over again. We are ready to go. We, we've got it on our minds that, hey, it's worth the effort. That there are, there, you know, look, I'm willing to go through that, to climb three dunes, to hop over whatever, to get to that spot on the beach that I got there first to get, only to discover at noon, everybody else found it too, right? You know, do you see what I'm saying? You ever done that where you go on a vacation and you take your umbrella and you poke your hole in the sand and put your chairs there because it's mine, right? And you're going to come back in a couple hours because, and you've just, you've got it laid out. But when you get there, there's somebody that's put their chair like right here and you're like, for real right now, right? Do you, do you see what I mean? But there are frustrations that we are willing to endure because we have a vision for where we're going. We are willing to endure the, the, the immediate discomfort because we have the vision of the hopeful that we're going to have this happy experience. It could be anywhere, wherever your somewhere is. But we're willing to, to pack the car, fill the tank of gas. We're willing to save the money. We're willing to figure out how to climb the dune, endure the sunburn, whatever it is. Because we want to be at that destination. Why aren't we like that? when we look at our own lives, when we look at our spiritual lives? Are we willing to endure and change our focus a little bit in the destination to say, you know, the inconvenience that I'm currently experiencing is worth where I'm going. The uncomfort that I feel in having to change something I've always done is worth it because I see where I'm going. The value to where I'm going to end up is so great, it's worth all the stuff I have to climb through to get there. We see back here that it's worth the effort to carry it, to fix it, to calm it. Do you remember that? I remember those days when Nicholas, when we would take him to the beach, it was, you know, one towel, 900 toys, right? And then you hope that they will play with what you're taking, and somehow you forgot the one thing that they actually wanted. You know what I'm saying? So you spend the whole time just calming, calming. Go play in the water. Go ahead, run that in here. You're, you're constantly redirecting because the destination is worth it. Spiritually, we have a destination. When you accept Jesus as Lord and personal Savior, you're in. But now, that life more abundant is what I'm talking about. And to get to life more abundant, life more hopeful, life more worth living. There are some inconveniences. There's some, there's some baggage that we're carrying around that we may have to let go of. I love it when I saw him kick that float. 
Because I know that was probably spontaneous. But if you look closely, his wife is like two steps in front of him. I thought, Lord, that could have gone bad quick. <laughs> but we're willing when we have a vision for where we're going. We're willing to endure all of that. We want to get there. But we have to change our focus. How quickly we are able, when we want to do something, we can change our focus quickly. Like when I watched in a little mission video we were just showing, um, and I see those kids shoveling that mulch. I don't know how many of them went home, because that was a ton of mulch. I don't know if you guys realize how much that was. I mean, that was a, like a tandem truck dropped it off, and it was enormous. And for them to willingly pick up a shovel and go, whoop a doo hey, bring that home. I come home and I say, hey, I'm going to get some mulch. Uh-uh. <laughs> but if we can change our focus, if we can get ourselves to the point that I'm enduring something that is a little difficult now, it will get better because of what God has promised, where I'm supposed to go, where I'm intended to be, all those things that are in Scripture that say, look, life more abundantly is yours. But sometimes we've got to let go of a few things to get there. So what are you focused on today? When we, when we, on that little vacation picture, somehow we are able <clears throat> to let go of, I had to carry three lawn chairs, two of these, 12 of those. I got a really terrible sunburn. I remember one time I went on vacation, and uh, one of the folks in the family fell down the stairs and got a compound fracture in uh, Hatteras. This was years ago, 20 years ago only to discover that as the ambulance pulled up and they, they stabilized the leg, they, they put her in my car and said, okay, now you drive her to the hospital. And I said, what? They said, well, we're the only ambulance down here. If we leave and, and somebody's having a life-threatening event, a heart attack, there's no one left. All right, now that traumatic moment, somewhere between the, oh my gosh, that's grossing me out, and oh, all the way down that road to that hospital, I should have never wanted to go to the beach again. Nine months later, where we're going? <laughs> do you see, we have this, this ability to shake it off when it's something we want to do. So what are you focused on? Are you focused on the destination? Because when I plan a vacation, I'm focused on destination, right? All the other stuff is stuff. Well, well Angela, if you want to go, you know, hike in the Amazon. Oh, yeah, I want to go. I want to see the birds. I want to see all this stuff. You know, I don't really want to, but I'm just making it up. But, but then once I make that decision, I get to looking at it. Oh, I got to get shots. Oh, that's all right. Got to do it. Going to destination. I got to get my passport. All right, that's good. Got to, get, got to go down and stand in line. It's all right. Got to go to the post office. Get in line. All right, that's no problem. They don't know what they're doing, but I'm good. Let's go. You see what I mean? We're willing. We're willing. Oh, you got to pack stuff. Oh, go ahead and take this drug that may make you sick later, but it'll keep you from getting malaria. Malaria? Yeah, that'll mess you up, but if you take drug, you won't get it. Oh, that's all right. Destination. Do you see what I mean? All these things we are willing to do when we have a clear vision of destination. When our focus is on where we're going, not all the problems and steps necessary to get there. So what are you focused on? Where do your thoughts take you? Are the, is it destination thinking or is it crisis thinking? Is it worry thinking? Is it fret thinking? Is it worst case scenario thinking? Philippians reminds us, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Now I want to maybe read that a little differently. Whatever. Can you imagine being so frustrated? 
You're, you're surrounded by some negative folk. Whatever is true. Can you focus on that? Whatever is noble. Hey, look, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, can you find something? I had to say that just this week to somebody. I said, can you name one thing happy? Tell me one thing good. Well, not dead yet. Okay, that's good and sarcastic. Now let's move that needle over here just a smidge. But do you, do you get what I'm saying? We, we, we sometimes forget that we have to force ourselves. All right, am I going to focus on the lawn chairs and the shots and all the stuff and the money, or am I focusing on the destination? Do you, do you get where I'm going? We've, we've got to figure out how to get destination thinking going on in our heads. We, we have these opportunities where we can say, okay, here's where I'm going, or we can look at this picture and we begin to think, there's no gas station. Salt water is going to mess up my car. What if I had a flat? Do you see how the woulda, shoulda, couldas might, might mess up your destination thinking because you are so busy worrying about what could happen, you can't enjoy what is happening. You're not, you're not willing to overlook some of the inconveniences that could be there to go, wow, that's, that's a nice view. Mama used to always travel with peanut butter in the glove box. Peanut butter crackers, because daddy would love to go and find new places. Well, the problem with new places is there was no place in them new places sometimes. So with the kids in the back seat going, for real right now, haven't seen a golden arch in like three days. Can we, can we, can we, uh, but she knew, hey, I'm going to calm the back seat down while he's figuring out where we're going. In hindsight, those were fun adventures. But if you get fixated on what you don't have, what you wish you had, what you, what you hoped you'd have, you miss what you've actually got. We spend a lot of time right here. A lot of time in the what could happen or the worries of daily life or what is actually happening without focus on how God could change things or how things could be. <laughs> Experts estimate that we think between 60 and 80,000 thoughts a day. That's a lot. I'm going to say I'm on the 80,000 side because I think constantly and never sleep. So we're just going to put me at the 80. I'm not saying it's all intellectual think. It's things like, man, I'm hungry. I wonder if they're open. It's stuff like that. <laughs> but that's an average of between 2,500 and 3,300 thoughts per hour. So while we're sitting here in an hour, you guys are going to think about 3,000 thoughts. Some of them might be about what I'm talking about. Some of you have already gone on to what am I ordering for lunch. And then others I got lost back when I mentioned McDonald's. <laughs> but still, it's going to be 3,000 of them cross your mind. 3,000. They did some research. This is a, out of a, a book called Biological Basis of Behavior. And they, they did some research and they said 70% of the thoughts that people have every day are negative. All right, so if I have 80,000 thoughts, that's going to put me somewhere around 54,000 negative thoughts and 26,000 positive thoughts. And it's funny, they have this little thing. It says some of the positive thoughts are also negative because they're positive that something else bad is going to happen. <laughs> So I thought, wow, okay, 70% of what you think every day is negative? Have you ever thought about that? You're like, I see some people looking at me and no, 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 no. That's hard to believe, but what 
this research is indicating is that we have a natural tendency to kind of see things a little bit skewed and a little less hopeful. That we do this with our lives. We spend 30% on that beautiful part of, hey, optimism, hope, whatever, and then 70% worrying about it. We've got to it should be, I should be able to open one of these books and flip it open and it has a little asterisk at the bottom. Unless you're a Christian, these, these, you know, these numbers are skewed if you know Jesus as Lord and personal Savior. Hope that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ changes these numbers immensely. Right? I see that in some medical journals where it says heart patients taking XYZ medicine improved by 17%. Although those who added medicine and prayer improved by 63%. Now... What was the difference? It was the prayer. So if you know Jesus is Lord and personal Savior, it was the prayer. But if you talk to people who aren't believers, they say, oh, no, it was just medicine. That really had nothing to do with it. They must have had better genes, better factor, better this. No, it changes things. But we live here. We live here. We think on these things. They demand our attention. Crisis, chaos, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay my taxes? The health, the health of loved ones, all these things all day long. And it's not focused thought. It's not like you're sitting there going, well, it's the little nagging moments. You're sitting at a stoplight. The next thing you know, you see something go by. That reminds you of something else. Then you go, oh, man, did I leave the iron plugged in? Do you see what I mean? It's those little fleeting moments. Which, on that note, I feel like they need to have one of those little ring things for appliances. So you can check your thing. Oh, yeah, I turned it off. Because I would have so much peace instead of turning around. But okay, I digress. But you, your thoughts, are they really that important? Absolutely. You are not in this battle alone. The scripture reminds us you can command every thought captive. We do have that shield of faith. We do have a sword of the spirit. There's a reason for those things that are acknowledged that says, look, sometimes you're going to have to ping, you're going to have to deflect some of what's going on, and sometimes you're going to have to react with the contrary. So yes, it does matter. What you think on all day long matters. It changes things. So we're back to it again, Philippians. We're, we're reminded again, whatever is true, whatever is noble. But wait, this guy is rotten in a prison cell. I wish I had a picture that was better. I did some research on it. It talks about the prison cell didn't have any windows. It smelled really bad. There was a sewer trough running through it. You can't move. You're chained to the wall. People around you are awful and vile and crazy. All this awful, horrible, horrible situation. One that you can't escape with any of your senses. But in the middle of that, he writes, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right. Can you hear a sense of desperation? He's writing to the people, I believe it was Macedonia, when he was saying, look, I'm in a horrible situation, and I'm going to redirect your thinking. Look, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, think about this. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And what he's really saying is, you don't know how hard it can get. I'm in it. And if I can refocus from the pit, you can refocus from the mountaintop. Because they're sitting up there with the olive branches, and, you know, they got water, and they got fresh air, and he didn't have any of that. But he was redirecting them from his place to say, look, if I can focus, you can focus. 
So focus. That's a, a really important thing. And in my line of work, we deal with all sorts of things. All sorts of cameras, all sorts of stuff. So an analogy that I can use is, this is your potential. When life, God gives you life, he gives you potential. And when you accept him as Lord and personal savior, it begins to take a whole different method. If I can get my camera lens on. It takes on a whole different scenario. Because now I've added focus. I'm able to, to look better, see better, not just be open to everything. When you take a picture like this, though your lens can see everything, it shows nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's a big of light, nothing else. But the minute you add focus, the minute you narrow, you begin to look specifically, see things differently, all of a sudden it comes into view what you're trying to see. That's how a relationship with Jesus works. It's as you get to know him better, it changes the way you see things. It changes what you focus on. It allows you to th see things that you didn't even know were there. You're so busy focusing on other things, crisis, chaos, whatever, that you miss what's actually available to you. So it's that, that redirected focus. So that's what... He was trying to write when he was giving us those eight elements. Was he was trying to help people redirect their focus. There was some selfish thinking. There was some thinking about things that were just ridiculous. There was, there was everything to take you away from thinking about what could be into what, oh, the woe is me or the what would be. And the next thing you know, you've missed something. So he said, look, the first one was whatever's true. So what he was saying there is, hey, truth is the first part. Before you open your mouth, Start, make sure you're speaking the truth. This question rules out all of that dishonesty, all that untrueness, all that unreliableness that we deal with with one another. He said, hey, look, whatever's true, focus on that. And that immediately eliminated the untruth. The people that are trying to mislead or redirect. On the internet, it's really hard. You look up something, and you'll see all these people. It's like in the day, I can remember my dad saying, hey, look, before you read that book, flip it over. Look who wrote it. Know something about that author. Know where they're coming from. Because though it says, walking closer with God, if you flip it over, you may find he's not talking about what you think he's talking about. But now we don't have that, that hard back, hardcore thing. Now we've got to go on the internet, and we Google prayer. For instance, and you'll see, you know, six million hits on prayer. And you pick the one with the most compelling title and you start reading and all of a sudden it's into all of these incantations and things and you're like, what? And then you realize, wow, we're not talking about the same person. We're not talking about the, the Jesus that died on the cross and rose from the dead. We're not talking about that anymore. But you have to have wisdom to know that, to recognize it. Otherwise, the next thing you know, you're suckered down into a trail and a path that you didn't even realize you were taking that has nothing to do with the liberation of a relationship with Jesus. So, next one he talked about was whatever is noble. Nobility. Do we even use that word anymore? We talk about that. I mean, occasionally you read it in an inquirer. We're talking about the royal family, I guess, but we don't really use that anymore. The word meaning honorable, worthy of reverence. It refers to the majestic and awe-inspiring. Is your thought life honorable? Do you dwell on the frivolous and trivial? What takes up the space? 
Do you dwell on who hurt you, who didn't like you, who didn't give you the, on Facebook? Is that, is that where you hang out? Because that's, that's taken away from the joy of the Lord that you can experience and that liberation of, of focusing on something that is, that is awe-inspiring instead. It changes your disposition. The third one was, is it right? Whatever is right. This means the conformity to God's standards. Not that it's right in your eyes or my eyes or anyone else's. If your thoughts were broadcast for the world to hear, would you be ashamed or embarrassed? That's all of us. This look, nobody that ever stands here ever is exempt from any of what we're talking about. I'm just willing to talk to you about it and say, you know, yep. Because some days we do have those thoughts. We do have those things that cross our mind. Somebody cuts us off in traffic or whatever, and you're glad it didn't come out of here, but boy, did it go through there. <laughs> but those thoughts change the way you do things. Think about that vacation picture. If it came time to plan the vacation, and you flip through your pictures, and instead of the happy ones, you flip to the one where you're carrying all the crud across the beach, and you said, I'm not doing that anymore. Huh? Nope. Never again. I don't need to see the ocean that bad. <laughs> Internet's good. HDTV's awesome. Got it. We don't ever need to go there. Because now we're in that negativity. We're in that thought process where we're like, no, uh-uh. I'm eliminating that because it was hard. It was difficult. I don't think any of us want to live there. But we need to be careful because if we let that get in our minds, if we allow ourselves to go to those places where in our minds we are no longer thinking about what's right, we are instead thinking about what bothers us, what irritated us, how frustrated I am, how disappointed I am, and we linger there, it starts to change everything else. It has a ripple impact on everything else in your life. Is it pure? Whatever is pure was his next admonition. He said, look, pure means undefiled, clean, and holy. It touches that area of moral purity. You know, is the thought, the thought life clean? You know, and in my day in school, we'd always say, get your mind out of the gutter. Somebody would say, tell a joke or whatever. It was a little off color. We'd say, get, out of the, get your mind out of the gutter. What are you thinking about? We don't say that anymore. Now we just, because there's so, there's such a broad chasm of opportunity to, be places and see things and do things that you shouldn't ought to see, but you can't unsee them. I'm telling Nicholas that all the time. Look, internet, clicking, scrolling, whatever you're doing, YouTube, there's all sorts of things available to you, but you can't unsee things. So you better be real careful before you click. Because the next thing you know, there's an issue that you didn't know you were going to have. And now the next thing you know, you're having to tell yourself, people are even, they want to tell you, get your mind out of the gutter. Stop thinking those things. Stop talking those things. Stop perpetuating those jokes that are just awful. Have some temperance. Have, have the motivation. Look, I'm going to focus on something else because I want what's coming in here to drop a foot. I want this right here and here to get together so that what comes out of here is different. People see it. They, they see what's going on. Is it lovely? Whatever is lovely, the word appears in the New Testament one time, and it's right here. In original Hebrew, it translates as to pleasant and delightful. Do your thoughts automatically attach themselves to what's pleasant and delightful? Don't even look at me and nod yes, because the truth of the matter is we're all falling into 80%. No. 
We don't automatically think of the best case scenario, do we? No. When the, when the toilet's backing up into the bathtub, are you thinking, this is going to be fine? <laughs> no, you are not. You're immediately going, who am I going to call? Where's the phone number? Oh my, how much is this going to cost? Now I'm going to have to get rid of the bathtub because I'm never going to want to use it again. You go immediately to those, those places that are less than pleasant and delightful because we have been duped. We've been taught that if we prepare ourselves for the worst, we won't be caught off guard. But I'm telling you right now, in all of our preparation for the awful things, and I'm not saying you don't get prepared for storms and you don't pay attention to what's going on at big venues and all that stuff, that's not what I'm saying. But when you're so busy in your thought life preparing for the worst case scenario, you miss the best case scenarios that are going on in your everyday. Amen. So here's a simple rule with that one. If it's not lovely, if it doesn't make you lovely, Lovely meaning pleasant, friendly, kind. Don't say it. Don't think it. Don't do it. Don't dwell on it. And certainly, don't repeat it. You say, Angela, that's hard. Yes, it is. It is carrying your lawn chairs over three dunes to get to the beach. It's hard. But the destination's worth it. Because in the middle of all this, not diving into what it, I don't know, look. I don't go on Facebook very much. I even have somebody that manages it for me when we're doing business things because it bothers me so much that people can be so hateful so quick. This is where we need to be. Stop it. Don't say it. Don't think it. Don't do it. Don't dwell on it. And certainly don't repeat it. Don't post it. Don't forward it. The impact that it has, you don't see. Sometimes you hear, and then we see it start. You can see the swirl start. And that's when you're like, whoo, let me come over here a minute, because I don't want to get in the middle of any of that. We've got to figure out how to focus on the good things. Focus on something good that will happen. Focus on, when is the last time you read, it was a commercial or something recently where somebody said, why do you, um, what is it, envy like? Like somebody had gone on vacation, don't just envy like, really like. And I started thinking about envy like. Okay, when people see somebody doing something really cool, and they, instead of just liking it, they'll like it and then be jealous of it. I don't know. I don't get this whole thing. I'm trying to figure it all out. But my point here is we have to figure out how to say, be happy for people when good things happen. It's okay. And don't be, don't be worried about, well, if they got something, then God doesn't have that for me because God has enough for everybody. It's not, he doesn't have to... His, his limit, he doesn't have a, an inventory like at Sam's Club when you walk in and you can kind of see how many they've got going in the roof and then you get yours. You can tell it's, it's getting low, I better get one. Or the number at the end changes because you know it's about to be discontinued, right? God doesn't work that way. He's got enough for you too. Is it admirable? Whatever is admirable. This question asks us to focus on the things that are positive, not negative, constructive, not destructive, that build up and not tear down. This means editing your words, your gestures, your actions, simply deleting the non-admirable things from our vocabulary and gestures so that we make an effort to climb the dune, to be with God on a deeper level that says, I'm going to edit me so I can be more like you. Amen. It's hard to do. You've got to figure out how to focus on things that are not always gloom, doom, awful. 
The only reason I'm talking about it, I struggle with it too. Total transparent. When you're dealing with, with how to deal with your folks and how to help them, it's hard because that transition from daughter to whatever it is that happens next when you're trying to help your parent, parenting your parent, I don't know, is hard. When you're, you're trying to transition or allow your child to grow up and go and do their thing and you back off a little bit, it's hard. You know, that mama bear component's still in there, but you've got to back off of that. It's hard. And we all have those situations where we are tempted. We have to choose. You have to choose in a way that is definitive on your part, positive or negative. Pick one. It's more fun to talk about the bad stuff, but you'll have more peace if you stick with the good stuff. Okay, fun or peace, pick one. Eventually, once you pick it long enough, peace becomes fun. Discipline is required there. And then Paul gives us the two categories. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Excellence refers to virtue, and praiseworthy means those things that God himself would approve. So you're focusing on the things that you think God would be happy that you're focused on. The what would Jesus do bracelet? You know, that's a wonderful thing. Now it's got to be something that you do. It has to cross that threshold into not just thinking about what he would do, but doing your best to do it. To think on the things that are excellent and praiseworthy. Is there anything worth being happy about? Can you find it? Is there anything good? You know, I, sometimes when you're at those frustrated days and everybody's like, you're, you're sitting at a hospital, you're talking to somebody, well, I just don't see anything good, I don't know, yeah. right? And I, I'll laugh, these are people I don't even know. Just this last week, somebody was talking, I had to go to a doctor's appointment, a guy sitting next to me, I don't know, everything's terrible, everything's awful. And, you know, you're just trying to have a conversation. I'm reading the Inquirer, you know, it's one of those things where you're just catching up at the doctor's office, right, People Magazine. And, uh, and he's complaining. I said, you all right? No. Wow. Definitive answer. Got it. No. Everything's awful. I said, can you tell me something good? Can't think of anything. I said, do this for me. And he did it. And he said, what's that? I said, you're breathing. That's good. Check box number one. And he said, oh, I... He wasn't having none of my nonsense. But my point is, he had already determined... This is a horrible day. It was going to remain horrible. It wasn't going to get any better. I'm going to pay $35 for them to tell me and confirm that it's horrible, and I'm going to go home knowing what I always knew. I'm sick. Right? Those are the conversations that we're having in the lobby. I don't know why I'm here. They ain't going to do nothing anyway. The expectation was so low. But we've all been there where we have very low expectations. You know, when there's a certain company, when they say they're going to come to my house to fix something, I know when they say between this time and this time, it's really between Tuesday and Thursday, right? I know that, that there is no real. So I have very low expectations. So my threshold of frustration is, you know, pretty low. Because I know that they're not, I'm going to wait and they're not going to be there. But we've got to get ourselves into these situations where we stop doing that. We start, and in Harvard they'd say that it's a predictable surprise. In other words, when happens that you knew was going to happen and you get upset about it, you're ridiculous because you knew it was coming. Pre prepare yourself differently. React differently. Plan accordingly. But don't just plan for the worst case scenario because as Christians we have the opportunity to react differently. 
But you've got to be in that right place to do that. You know, it's funny, when I, when I was a kid, I, I went to a church, and they'd always talk about the youth pastor, you know, is really cool. And he'd say, look now, when you guys go to school, don't flesh out. And I used to think, flesh out? What is that? He was trying to say, look, when you're being you and less of him, what comes out of here, not so good. So calm that down a little bit. Be more like him, less like you. That's the goal. So then he left us with seven and eight. Is it morally excellent? Is it something that God would approve? So holy moly, as he walked through the eight things that we need to think about, the eight admonitions of please focus this way, he's writing from a prison cell that smells like a sewer, and he's encouraging everybody, focus on something good. Find it. I think the back of that, if I had to read the cliff note to that, is him saying the only way I'm surviving here as I'm focusing on the goodness of God and not on what I see, smell, or hear. So what if in your situation, instead of focusing on what you see, smell, hear, feel, whatever, you focus instead on what God has promised you, which would be completely contrary to all those other things you see, smell, feel, hear, until God changes things. Because what I've found is that when you're not looking for it, you don't find it. If I'm not looking for God to do something in my life, I don't find it. When I cut my grass, I have to go out with this little contraption. And I don't cut my grass. Nicholas and my brother cut my grass, so I'm not even going to lie about that. I don't cut my grass. All right. But I do have the contraption. And the contraption is that you go out, because I have a dog, and you remove certain things from the yard. Right? Well, those things, as you look out over my yard, you don't see them. They're not there. But when I go looking for them, I am not disappointed. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? So what are you looking for? Are you looking for the goodness of God in your life? Are you looking for a life abundant? Are you looking for far more than you could ask or think he will provide? Are you looking in the, the change slot of the car going, well, praise the Lord, I know I don't have nothing here, but God's going to provide for me today. Something good's going to happen today. Mama used to have a show she watched every morning and it started with, something good is going to happen today. And I can remember waking up and getting ready to go to school and I'd hear that playing because it came on at like 6 o'clock in the morning. Do you play that in your head? Despite the circumstance, despite the difficulty, despite the facts, do you play it in your head? I got it painted on a little thing by my front door. Something good is going to happen today. Because you got to plan it in your head even when everything around you tells you it's not. You've got to build your expectation that something good is going to happen. It's hard. It is very easy for me to look at something and say, well, you need this, that. I'm a list maker. Need 12 of these, 2 of those, 6 of these, 5 of those. Well, if this happens, I'm an if-then. If this happens, then we need to do that. If that happens, then we need to do this. Let me make a list. Any of you have a pad by the bed, so as you're thinking of stuff, you write it down so you don't forget it by the morning? Can't sleep because you're worried you might forget what you're trying to remember? Yeah, yeah, that's a dysfunction. I realize it, but I do it. But it gives me peace to know, hey, it'll be, I, 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 need, to, I need to give this some thought time, perhaps some worry time, right? I'm just being transparent with you. We all do it. So I'll write it down. So I'll remember to worry about it tomorrow. Heaven forbid I forget about it. <laughs> Have you ever written something down and couldn't read it? And then you worry about what it said? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see how we all fall in that 80% of, Oh, no. Or that sense of, I've forgotten something. 
And then you worry yourself silly about what it is that you've forgotten. And it didn't merit remembering. That's why you forgot it. It was always funny to me. They would say, you'll find it in the last place you look. Look, if you catch me looking for something after I've found it, sit me down and have a talk. That's, that saying makes no sense whatsoever. Of course you found it in the last place you look because you stopped looking. So, together these eight areas of focus point the way toward positive thinking. Paul says, think on these things. It's a command. It's in the present tense. He doesn't say when you get a chance, when you feel like it, when things are good. He doesn't say, look, you might want to go find a quiet spot. He doesn't give any preface. He's writing from a prison cell that smells of cesspool, and he says, look, think on these things. Do it. Find the true and think about it. Find the noble, think about it. Find the love, find it. There's a power in that word, find. It's like an Easter egg hunt of life. You ever, when you're a kid and it's difficult and people think it's funny to hide them in bad and hard places and you're all snickering because you know they'll find them eventually, right? But it's the Easter egg hunt of life, really. You've got to find them. They don't just leap out at you every morning. Good morning, here are great things to think about. No, it's more like, good morning, you forgot to start the dryer. Your pants aren't ready. You know, good morning, you missed the bus. That's the way that the day starts for a lot of people. You've got to find something to think about that is contrary to what is demanding your attention. Find something lovely, think about it. Find something virtuous, think about it. I think maybe Paul may have been the first one to say, just do it. And then Philippians 4.9 tells us why. The God of peace will be with you. Those who think on these things experience God's peace in their lives. If you didn't know that Paul was sitting in a prison cell in a horrible situation, uncertain if he'd be executed or exiled or liberated, and he's telling you, look, I'm experiencing the peace of God that surpasses understanding. I am focusing on things I cannot see, hear, feel, or touch. I am focusing on things that I can just remember, things that I, I know in my heart about God, things that I just know in my heart are his promises, things that I just know through relationship with him as he speaks new things in my life every day. I'm focusing on those things, and I have peace in my circumstance. We all need that. But it starts with here. Nicholas was little. We'd always say, you know, when you're thinking and you're trying to do something, you're trying to do a math problem, whatever, we'd always say, boss your brain. Which meant, you know, you tell yourself what to think. Yes, I can do this. Boss your brain. Your brain says, too hard, can't do it, I don't know, can't understand. No. I'm going to tell myself how to think. Yes, I can do it. Yes, it's going to be fine. Yes, I know everything in front of me is looking kind of sketchy, but it's going to be fine. It's you, out of a relationship with Jesus, telling yourself how to think instead of everything in the world inundating you and saying, whoa, you should really be worried about that. So how is your focus? What are you focused on? There was a picture there. What you think about impacts how you handle situations, how you interact with people, how you accept what God has to offer. Let me say that again. Maybe that's why the picture disappeared. Maybe it merits focus. 
And what you think about impacts how you handle situations, how you interact with people, and how you accept what God has to offer you. If you're always thinking about the worst case scenario, God has to argue with you into a promise of I will sustain you and keep you. I got you. I love you. If you are inundated with nobody loves me, nobody cares about me, those rejected thought circles that take you places that say, I'm, you know, I, got, I don't have anybody, prevents you from hearing, I love you. Prevents you from hearing God say, I care about you. You are my beloved. You can't hear those things because you've talked yourself into hearing everything else. So what you think about impacts your life in more ways than you might realize. So I started thinking about some of the people that I know, and don't get too disappointed with my box. I didn't go too crazy today, but. But I have this, uh, I got sick a couple weeks ago with some kind of virus or flu or something. And I have one friend in my life that I can, that she'll call every now and then and we'll talk. And she is way over the top into the medical stuff, right? So what she thinks about constantly is disease and whatnot and all these things. So the minute I said, told her that my symptoms, it was, oh my God, oh my God, it could be, you could have, it could, you could have, mal- oh, did you get a shot? You could get malaria. Do you realize, oh my God, did you cut your finger? It could be tetanus. Do you know these people? Do you talk to these people? Because they have filled their heads with everything. Do you know them? Do you have anybody in your life that you know, I better not go talk to them because panic is where we're going. Do you have any of those people? Right? So what they fill themselves with, what they fill themselves with, what they think on constantly, usurps. Their first reaction wasn't, hey, let me pray for you. Wow. Sorry to hear that. I know God's going to take care of you. Let's redirect. Let's go to the higher power. No, it was, we should freak out and call the Center for Disease Control. Oh, and then I've got the people in my life that are, well, really need to rethink this. We've got to look at all the details. We've got to drill it down. We've got to figure out every little thing that could have happened. Now, let's talk. What did they say again? How did they, no, wait. Did they put an exclamation at the end of that post? Did they put an emoji? Was it? Did they do a thumbs up? Okay, was the thumbs up immediate or like three days later? The people that want it, they fill their heads with the logic of life. They want to look at, oh, oh my gosh, let's drill into the details. Not, God will supply all your needs. It's okay. Just forgive them. It'll be all right. You'll be okay. All right, now y'all are trying to figure me out, aren't you? All right. Then, of course, we've got these people. I look, I'm watching for the third thing. It happened in threes. I'm just, all right. It's going to happen in threes. I'm going to have two. Lights on at the funeral home. Who is it? I know I saw Susan in the grocery store, but I saw that light on on the desk. Something's going on. I'm scanning the horizon. I got to figure it out. Look, ain't nothing going to catch me. Surprise, y'all wait right there. You, I got. And little do we realize how foolish we're looking, trying to prepare ourselves for everything and getting nothing done. And a constant state of panic. Got to drive by to make sure the light's not on. Hey, honey, if you're not in there, quit worrying about it. 
Now, I've got a bunch, but I'll give you this last one. The people who don't know Jesus at all, and you try your best, you're trying to talk to them about something, and they aren't even coming at it from the same place you are, right? And I know a few of these people. Well, you know, the, really, you really need to get in touch with that inner thing, you know. You've, got, you've really got to talk to self, figure it out, have some quiet time, stack some rocks, do some meditation. Because then it's all going to be, you know, it will, it will somehow work out. If you're listening to that, the abundance of what's coming out, what they've got their minds fixed on, is more worried about, do you know how many people are going to storm the gate at Area 51? I hear that's going to be a mess, but they're having a concert. This is the conversations that you have with people. They are filling their minds with all sorts of things. They're worrying about all sorts of stuff that I don't even take myself to the level to try to get. I can't remember the last time I really worried about aliens and things. I... But what's going on in here comes trickling out. What you're thinking on comes out. None of those people that I know and love very much in my life, they're, they're good, creative people, they're interesting people. But you have to be careful. Be careful who you listen to. Because it's got to come from here with a relationship with Jesus. And when those get together, it changes the dialogue. It changes it into something that says, you know, let's pray about it. You don't feel comfortable. Say, I have a friend that calls me and she'll say, you do that thing you do. You know, you know, that thing you do. And then I realize what she's asking me to do is pray. But they're uncomfortable with the word prayer. But can you do that thing you do? Oh, you mean talk to Jesus? Yeah, I can talk to him. I mean, I make a joke. I'm, I've just messed with her. Well, yeah. Kind of embarrassed. Not really sure. I think it works. It must, something about it is amazing, but it's just, shh. So it's funny, you know, we get in an elevator or something with her, and, and she'll say, well, you know, I'm working on it. You mean you're working on it with the Jesus? Angela, hush. It's just us in the elevator. But she's like, don't say it loud. Because she hasn't gotten comfortable with that personal relationship with Jesus, with understanding that there's a relationship there that can be sustaining. We've got to be careful. Because as you are thinking those things all day long, as you are preparing for gloom and doom, it impacts here. It comes out here. And it's more obvious than you may realize. Because as I've said, if I tell you somebody right now that if you have a problem in your life and you talk to them and all they would do is panic, if you know somebody like that, just give me a little nod. Okay, I got a room full of nods. If you know somebody who's just constantly panicking, they panic over everything. I'm seeing the nods. You know somebody who will logic it to death. Everybody's nodding. Sometimes the miracles and the relationship with Jesus are illogical. There are things I cannot explain. Um, in Africa, missionary couples by the side of the road. I did, this was a story for the 700 Club years. This was maybe 20 years ago. They got uh, carjacked. Guy put a couple in front of the truck. He took his gun and he was point blank right at them. And he fired. And when he fired, the bullet dropped out of the end of the gun. And the guy freaked out. 
And the people started praying and praising the Lord. And it turned that whole scenario into something vastly different, into a testimony. But there was no logical reason that it wasn't another tragic roadside story. God does things illogically. He is not required to do things in a way we understand. He is required, and I'm saying required because he promised, and he always keeps his promises, to give us life abundant, and he knows better than we do what that is. And we often, I'm okay not figuring it out for the benefit that it can provide. So you'll know them by the light in their eyes. That was a scripture I heard when I was really little, and I thought, I, oh, I can remember being five or six years old going, God, I want, I want people to see Jesus in there. I don't know what it was. It was a vacation Bible school or something, but I got it fixated on that if you knew Jesus enough, that people would see it. I want that. There are days when he might be hard to see. We all have those days. But the desire is there. For where your treasure is, there also is your heart. The eye is the lamp into the body, and if your vision is clear, your whole body will be full of light. It's not talking about literal vision. It's talking about spiritual vision. Can you see that God wants to make a way for you? Are you open to the fact that there may be something coming that is really good for you that you haven't considered yet? We're all a bunch of control freaks by nature. We know what's going to happen. We want to make the list. We want to check the box. We want to expect it. But I, we've got to get comfortable with the unexpected that is an enormous blessing. To be, you know, we always think, I've heard people preach about, <clears throat> when you pray, pray like this, you know, God, your will be done. And that's exactly right. But it always has a negative connotation to it. That somehow, when you pray, God, your will be done, that it's going to be something really uncomfortable. It's going to be something that changes you, but it's going to feel bad. What if... God, your will be done is so much better than anything we could possibly imagine. Which is the intent of that prayer. When you're relinquishing control to God, you're saying it's like holding a balloon. You're down here going, no, it should be like this. And then you say, God, your will be done. And you let it go. And something amazing happens. But we get so worried that if we trust God completely, that somehow it may inconvenience us. And I bring you back to the lawn chairs over the sand dune. Are you willing for those inconveniences for the beauty of the horizon? We do it with other stuff. Let's figure out how to do that with Jesus. Let's figure out how to change that focus a bit. It's funny, you know, I, have, I wear glasses. You'll never see me wear glasses, but I wear glasses, right? It's one of those things, all right? Look, it's just an issue I have. I don't know problem is I'm working on it. But it's amazing when I go, she's laughing because she provides my glasses. So when I watch TV at night and I put my glasses on, shows that I have watched for years when I got my glasses, oh my Lord have mercy, that's a beautiful place. Look at this. I don't know what I have been looking at, but I was watching it like this, not realizing that it could have been so much clearer. So, you know, it, it's just funny. We don't realize what we don't know. We don't realize what we don't see. We assume what we see is all there is, and it's not. 
God wants to make some changes in all of us. And there are individual, very different changes in all of our lives to bring us to that place of clarity where we see a little bit better every day what God wants to do in our lives. Just a little bit better every day. You are not in this battle alone. You can command every thought captive in the name of Jesus. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. You have to understand that he loves you, that he's real, that he has power and authority over all things. And that when he equipped you with that shield of faith and that sword of the spirit, he understood the battle of the mind. We see all those books, battlefield of the mind, all these things. That the thoughts that are going on are daily and constant. And now we know 80,000 a day. No wonder we're so tired. The weapons of our warfare are not weapons of this world. Instead, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We tear down arguments and every presumption set up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So when you're finding yourself going down that, that road of negative thinking, you're finding yourself going into that place where everything's awful, sometimes it's, you have to just tell yourself, I command every thought captive in the name of Jesus. In and of myself, I don't have any authority, but with Jesus, I've got all authority. So it's, in essence, telling yourself, stop. God has better for me than that. I will not focus on what I think will happen. I'm going to focus on what God will make happen. It's very difficult. It takes time to, to discipline yourself, to argue with yourself right here while you're brushing your teeth in the morning. You're thinking things, well, I don't know if that'll work out. I don't know if this will work out. Start changing. When you hear those things coming, start changing it into, thank you, God, everything's going to work out. Well, I don't know if I'll ever get all this done. Thank you, God, I'll have the energy today to get done what I need to get done. I'm not saying that you are, are acting as though those, those issues and challenges are not there. I'm simply encouraging you to apply God to them. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. <sighs> It's not as he will be or any of that. It's current. What you are thinking about changes how you approach life and how people approach you. Focus on where you want to go and not what you're afraid of. Let God take care of that. I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of peace, love, and a sound mind. Accept that. Do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He's saying you have access to the goodness of God. But you've got to believe it. You've got to begin to think those options are there for you. That you may not know everything. You know, it's like, it's like that, I tell it all the time, that Rudy movie where the guy, the priest, and he says, two things I'm sure of. There is a God, I'm not him. That certainty that God loves you and cares for you. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So my last little box. When I do children's church, I always bring silly little props. We've talked a lot today about one scripture in particular. But when you're, when you're really trying to get people to understand the power of reading the Bible every day. They have great difficulty setting that five minutes aside. We don't have any problem. I don't have any problem playing that Tetris game on my phone for three hours. 
that's not going to change my life, but will give me carpal tunnel. This <laughs> will change my life. But when we don't spend any time with it, when we don't have any relationship with God, when we open the book, it just seems like there's nothing. The book offers nothing. I talk to people all the time that say, I try to read it. It just doesn't speak to me. So then sometimes those folks will go to a Sunday school or go to a meeting or they'll go to something and then they'll hear somebody start talking about the things that did happen. And then they start maybe looking at it a little differently. And they say, well, yeah, I heard the stories. I kind of get it. The stories are cool. And then something happens. And it's that moment when you accept Jesus as Lord and personal Savior. And then you go to that next place where you realize that life can send things in your direction that you never thought you'd be equipped to handle. And you find yourselves in those moments of going, God, please help me. And you begin to look at the book one more time. This time you're seeking those answers. And God comes life for you. That's where we need to get. We need to get to that place where the scripture comes alive. The only way you get there is you spend some time with it. You spend some time with him. You read a passage and you say, Lord, speak to my heart. Help me to know. The guy that sold his Bible at the garage sale, I've told you about before, and I said, why are you selling your Bible? And he said, oh, I've read it. That's not the way the scripture works. I can read passages that I read when I was 20 that meant one thing, and now life has changed greatly. And now all these years later, I can read that same passage again, and it speaks to me in a different way. So if you want to know how to command every thought captive, understand what to replace those thoughts with. And there's a whole book that wants to tell you. The whole book of promises that are available to you. God wants to change your life. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that your word come alive for us. I pray, God, that we hear your voice and follow your direction. I pray, Lord, God, you help us to command every thought captive. Help us, God, to see that you promise us life eternal. Anyone today, Lord, that's listening, anyone today who's on the fence, anyone today that says, I don't know. I pray today is the day, Lord, right now, you, all it takes is a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Please forgive me for my sins. I ask you, Lord God, please be my personal Lord and Savior. And in that moment that seems so challenging and easy to say, your life begins anew. God, I pray in Jesus' name you would be with everyone who can hear my voice right now, Lord God, that you would help them to set worry aside, set fear aside, and replace it with your promises. Those promises that tell us, hey, look, I've got you. I, I love you. I care for you far more than you can ask or think. I will provide. Help us, God, to think on those things and to replace the things, God, that are trying to distract us away from you with your word, with your wisdom, and your love. In Jesus' name.